We'll be reading from Genesis 37, verses 18 through 26. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will uh, see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life and, uh, into this pit, here in the wilderness. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Cast him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might, uh, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to him, uh, came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and cast him into a pit. The pit was empty, there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh, on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let um, not our hand be upon him. Now let's turn to Genesis 45. Verses 1 through 8. <laughs> then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Help us, Lord. Help us. Help us. Father, we're desperate. We need you to speak to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that every heart would be tender to your voice. I pray, Lord, that we would only hear your voice, that you would speak plainly, speak clearly. Father, I pray the hearts would be open and pliable this morning. Lord, as you are working in us to willing to do of your good pleasure, Lord Jesus. Father, just... Be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. We have been in a series. This is the second installment of our series. And we started a series last week, Live Like Jesus. And so our focus have really 
uh, in this series is to uh, identify with the character of Christ and allow him to live his life through us. And so uh, we have been uh, taking some of his characteristics and uh, his person. Last week we dealt with the issue of integrity. Uh, this week we're going to be dealing with a very, very powerful subject uh, of forgiveness. Before I was <clears throat> preparing, after the Lord had spoken to me, I believe, to share with you this word this morning, there was a, a bunch of emotions that even came up in my heart. Um, oftentimes before, uh, obviously, before I come and share with you, God is dealing with me. And it's on a regular basis, oftentimes, that after going through and studying and preparing the sermon, I have to sit and I have to pray and I have to repent before I can come and stand before you. But as we have live our lives and we go on with our lives, we try to move forward. And inevitably, there's somebody here probably who have experienced some hurt. You have experienced some pain in your life. Sometimes you, it resurfaces when you see the person when you hear about the person, but everybody knows that if you've ever been hurt by someone before, uh, depending on the circumstance, it was very, very difficult. And these are feelings that can linger on for many, many years. There are people, psychologists make, and I would even say Dr. Field, for an example, they make tons and boatloads of money digging in people's past. Whether we want to realize it or not, our past, if we allow it, it does have an effect on our future. And many people struggle with this issue of forgiveness. I think everybody who is a believer, you're a Christian here this morning, we all know, you don't need me to tell you that the Bible says that you ought to forgive. You don't need me to, because you already know that you ought to forgive. But the reality of it is understanding that we, we understand what Jesus said, but sometimes getting there is quite difficult as, as a practical matter in terms of forgiving people. But I want to talk this morning about this subject in terms of our ability to be able to impact people's cities and nations and to change a generation. One of the things that I was listening this morning to Naomi, she gave her testimony. It touched my heart um, because her family situation was different than a lot of us, a lot of our family situations. Some of us grew up in some really, really bad places. We have experienced abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse. And some of us, to this day, we are still struggling with the remnants of that. We want to move on. We understand that we're supposed to move on. But, but we find ourselves being shaped by that. And, but one of the things that is so important to understand is that that is not where God wants you and I to be. Jesus Christ, when he hung up on that cross, and all those people, they were yelling at him. You know, he, Jesus did good. He blessed people. He healed them. He spoke words of encouragement. Everything about Jesus' life, he, he, 
He just went around blessing people and giving people hope and giving them life. And yet they still accuse him of some horrific things. And Jesus, being able to hang on that cross in Luke 23, 34, Jesus says this, Father, hanging on the cross, the people that was driving the stakes to his hands, Jesus was able to look at them and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Which, if you really look at the context of that verse, there's a hidden truth in there. What Jesus said to his father, he said, Father, forgive them. In order for Jesus to make that statement, he would have already had to forgive them already in his heart. Jesus already had forgiven those who offended him. Failure to understand the importance of forgiveness, we lose out on our opportunity to impact lives. Everybody in here would say, I want to see people come to Christ. I want to see people come to Jesus. And I know for some of us, and I've heard people say, I've heard well-intended people who've been, I don't, I don't intend on minimizing the impact of your pain. That's not what I'm here to do this morning. Uh, some of you have experienced things that I've never experienced, and I cannot share in your pain. I mean, you can tell me, and I probably can never, ever get it. But I believe the word of God. How many of you believe the word of God? Amen. And there's healing in God's word. And I understand this, that when we decide to do it God's way, that what's on the other side of that is the very thing that we all long for. Peace, joy, happiness, to be released from bitterness. Everybody that I ever met that was bitter, they were at a huge disadvantage. And in often cases, they are not happy. And they have money. They have things, but they are still wrestling with and they have refused to forgive. In some cases saying, I wish they would go to the place that we don't want nobody to go to. I'm just being very, very real this morning. People are broken. People are broken. You turn the air conditioner down for me a little bit, please. Thank you, brother. People are broken. Why is that important to understand? Because when you understand that people are broken, it changes the way you look at them. When you understand that what made Jesus hang on that cross and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do was, he understood that they needed help. He knew that these people have some serious problems and I have come to set them free. I've come to help them. I've come to, to, to get the chains off. If you're struggling this morning with forgiveness, Jesus has sent me here this morning to help you to get the chains off. I just want you, if, if your defenses are going up, I want you to let down for a second. I, listen, I just want you to just say, Lord, Lord, meet me where I am. Meet me where I am and open your heart. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness means 
to pardon, to absolve, excuse, is to free and relieve. In other words, forgiveness says, although you did me wrong, I'm not going to hold it against you. Forgiveness says that even though I have been offended and I have not forgotten, I'm going to live my life as though I have forgotten. We live and act as though the sin never occurred. It's not to say, you know, when the Bible says that God says that he remember our sins no more, it, how many know that the God is all-knowing? It's not like God forgot that you did what you did. It's just that God chose to say, I'm not going to hold that against you. Though I could, you did me wrong, but I'm going to choose to love you. I'm going to choose to save you. I'm going to choose to redeem you. I know all the stuff you did. I know how bad it was. And I choose to put it away from me because I love you that much. I forgive you. The Bible says in Romans that we have the ministry of reconciliation. That means that we're supposed to be agents that preach forgiveness, but not only preach it, but that we do it. That we are people that forgive those who have offended us. Which brings into spotlight the life of Joseph. One of the most incredible stories as it relates to forgiveness I've ever even read, heard of. I mean, it is, I, I, this, this, the life of Joseph, I did a whole series on Joseph and it took me like uh, six, seven weeks. Because he was a man of impeccable character. But I want you to, uh, for sake of background, understand Joseph. He was about 17 years old, one of the youngest, I think he was next to the youngest boy, Benjamin. And his father had sent Joseph out to go and see how their brothers were doing. Their brothers were, was very, very jealous of Joseph because he was his father's favorite son. And so Jacob blessed Joseph and his brothers were jealous and they saw that. But to make matters worse, Joseph had dreams. And Joseph began to share his dream. How many know that you got to be careful who you share your dreams with? Because not everybody is going to see it the way you see it. I'm just going to just, just, just pack that back. Just keep it there. That was free. But Joseph began to share. He says, look, my dream is that, that, that y'all are going to be basically bowing down to me. And they didn't like him anyway because they were jealous of him. Now he's going to sit here and tell them, now y'all going to have to bow down to me. So they were very angry. So one day Joseph is coming up. They see Joseph and they say to one another, let us kill him. All 10, 11 of them. Let us kill our brother. So, so they meet him. They basically, they, 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 they strip his coat off. His dad had made him this beautiful coat tunic of wonderful colors and they ripped it off of him and only because of the oldest brother Reuben who basically said no no we, we, we can't let's not kill him you know let's just kind of let's just kind of put him in a hole and but they end up selling him off there's a caravan of 
folks going to Egypt. So they sold their brother off, and then they faked his death. Went back and told his dad, Jacob, said, look, your son died. They took his coat, dipped it in some animal's blood, and said, look, your boy died. I want you to think about this for a moment. So now Joseph, now stay with me. So Joseph now finds himself in Egypt, a people he don't know, a language he don't know, from his own family, who's supposed to love you? How I many of you, you know what I'm talking about? These are people who are supposed to do right by you. It's like the molester that molests his daughter or his son. You, you are in a position of trust. You are supposed to not do that. Joseph didn't do anything. He was just a young boy. He had a dream. He finds himself in Egypt. He finds himself in Potiphar's house, who was a captive of the Egyptian guard for Pharaoh. And Joseph was so anointed that God blessed him. And Joseph had full control over all the house because he was blessed by God. But then another bad thing happened to Joseph. Joseph get accused of raping a woman that he never touched. Lie with me, she said. Lie with me. This was part of his wife. Joseph said, I ain't going to do this. We talked about that, that last week. He said, I ain't going to do this and sin against God. He said, no. Well, he was thrown in jail. Now, can you just think, what if that, can you, can you imagine if that were you, what you would be thinking right about then? I was abused by my brothers sold away from my family, denied my relationship with my dad, my brothers, in a foreign land, and now I'm thrown in jail, all because of this. You might be tempted to say, I might be tempted to give up. Say, look, God, what's up? How, why, why is this happening? I mean, why is all this happening to me? I mean, I will be tying all that back to when I got thrown in that hole. And so, fast forward, so we see Joseph here in Genesis chapter number 45. There's a famine in all the surrounding areas, a severe famine that Joseph ended up prophesying about because when Joseph was in jail, the Pharaoh had some bad dreams and he wanted somebody to interpret those dreams. So they told him, said, Joseph interpret dreams. So Joseph came and he interpreted the dream for the Pharaoh, which was that all the land of Egypt and surrounding areas, there was going to be a severe famine and you need to prepare. Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh got that word from Joseph. He believed it. He received it. And he elevated Joseph. Listen to me. He elevated Joseph to prime minister or governor over all of Egypt. And so now, now I want you to follow me. So now we're in this situation. Joseph had gone through all this. Now he finds himself the governor of all of Egypt, which was the most powerful nation at that time. Does anybody believe that there's a God? When you do it God's way, God will bless you. He'll deliver you. He will take you places. So Joseph now, everybody have to come to Joseph to get food. Pharaoh said, Joseph, you got control over everything except me. No one, no one else is greater than you but me. This is what the Pharaoh told Joseph. So now here, his brothers, his family, Jacob said, kids, y'all got to go to Egypt because we got no food. Uh, we're all going to die here. You need to go to Egypt. Now, this is probably some 15, 20 years later. 
Here, Joseph, they haven't seen him. They're thinking that Joseph is wherever. Dad is thinking that Joseph is dead. They have no idea that they got to go to Egypt and they're going to have to go and talk to their brother, Joseph, to get some food. Now, now I want you to stay with me. Now, watch this. So in Genesis chapter 45, verse number one, look at this. So then Joseph. So Joseph now is confronting his brothers. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Because they didn't realize who he was. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. And then Joseph said to his brother, I am Joseph. Does my father, is my father, does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five in which there will be nothing, neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Now, so now it was not you who sent me here, but who? Who made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house, a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. First of all, when you see Joseph meets his brothers, what you don't see, you don't see Joseph bringing up everything they did. Do you think you might have been tempted to do that? Okay, can we have a conversation about what you did to me? I mean, you come walking up here. Let me, I mean, you, you would think that, that, that if, if Joseph was really bitter and was holding on to this thing, that the minute that they showed up, Oh, look at here. Oh, whoa. God has delivered you into my hands. But you don't see that. You see a man who had some conviction, some understanding that God was always in control of his life. So. Joseph does not, he does not pull out the list and talk about what they did. He don't go into that. Now, they're trying to explain. I don't know. If I was in their shoes, I'd be doing the same thing. Joseph, I don't know what to say. I'm sorry. I don't know what. Joseph didn't even really want to hear it. Which meant that way before they got there, Joseph was already free. Because had he been bitter all those years, you know what would have happened. And you know when people get bitter and they won't forgive, you know how they are. They're very angry. And they wait for an opportunity. Joseph, he sees, and he doesn't respond that way. Because Joseph views, watch this, and this is something, write this down, this is so important. You hear us say this a lot, and it's taught in scripture, that God is sovereign which means that God is in control of all things. Nothing comes across his desk. Nothing happens in this world. Nothing happens in this earth that God don't know about. Everything. God knows everything. He says that even the hairs on your head are numbered. Gary, you got zero. 
Even the hairs, for those of you who have it, of your head are numbered. So Joseph viewed everything in his life. Watch this, because this is going to shake some of your theology, but I want you to follow me. Joseph viewed everything in his life as coming from God. Didn't say God caused it. Didn't say God did it. But if, God's, if God foreknow all things, he sees all things, that means he got to say, oh, yeah, that situation, uh, let them go through it. You're going to have to endure this one. He could change it, right? God can, God can make it so that your life is just everything you want it to be. He can take away the problem. He can fix it so you never get sick. He can fix it so that you never have a problem, you never have to trust him, you never have to believe him or anything, that, that everything is just there, everything is just perfect, everything the way you want it. God could fix it that way because he's sovereign. So if then if God doesn't step in and change it, then we got to assume that God is allowing this to happen for a divine purpose. Romans 8.28. I love that verse. And God causes all things to work for good for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. What that tells me is that even though people may mean something evil against you, God will work it out in your favor. He means it for good. See, when they threw him in the pit, they were thinking, we're getting rid of you. We're tired of your dreams. We're tired that you think that you're better than all of us. We are sick and tired of that. We're going to get rid of you. But how many know it doesn't work that way? Because God is sovereign. And what that tells me is that, that, that he's in control, that he allowed things. And here's what, this is why Joseph was able to look at them and say, don't y'all be mad. Y'all chill out. God sent me here. Think about that. You mean God let me, God made these brothers, I mean, these brothers throw you in the pit, sell you off, you get thrown in the jail, your life is turned upside down, and and that's the way you think about it? Are, Are you serious? How was it that Joseph was able to think that way? Because he realized that there was a divine purpose. Let me, let me bring it home. God lets you experience that physical abuse, that emotional abuse, that sexual abuse, that pain, that deception, that anger. God let you experience all of that. He could have stopped it, but he let you go through it. He let you go through it. For some people, they get mad at God. God, why did you let this happen? Because, you, because they understand that fact that he's sovereign. That God, why did you let this happen? How could you let this happen? I hear stuff sometimes and I cry because I don't know all the answers. And sometimes people ask me questions. I don't know the answers. I hear some of the stories. I work cases. I work child abuse. And I sit back many times walking from a case that I was working. And, and I'm driving down the road in tears. God, how, why? Could you, did, did you just not stop this? I understand that. I understand that. (sighs) 
But what we learn from Joseph is that he processed his life as coming from God. He decided that I am going to, he chose to say, watch this, I'm going to forgive you. Forgive, forgiving somebody is more than saying words. Just because you say you forgive someone don't mean you forgive them. It's, it's not about words. It's about, it's an act of your heart. It's a will that I choose to forgive you. Now watch this. Because Joseph forgave. Joseph said this. Joseph said, um, God sent me here in verse 7. God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your life by great deliverance. Now watch this. This is very important. Why is it important for you to forgive? Joseph's whole family was saved in the famine. His family was saved. You know why his family was saved? Because Joseph forgave. And if you and I refuse to forgive, then the salvation that God wants to bring about and that we all long for to see in people that we know and we love, if we refuse to forgive, then we could be, in, 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 in essence, denying them what God wants them to have. God lets you go through pain. But those of us who walk with God, we know that there's a divine purpose and we know that in the end, it's going to work in my favor. It got to work for me and because God said that everything in my life is going to work for my good. God said that, so I believe that. I'm going to hold on to it. And you know what? I'm going to choose to release you. Because if you don't release, you will remain in bondage yourself. And therefore, God cannot get the kind of glory out of your life that he would want to get because you're holding on to bitterness. You're holding on to anger. Every time you see that person, you're seething. And God can't break through that. Joseph, Joseph, because he forgave. Joseph said, you know, I forgave. And because I knew God all along was trying to bring he was trying to save every one of you. I hear the phrase oftentimes. We sing it, we say it. And I think sometimes I'm afraid that it becomes a cliche. We say, Lord, use me. You often hear me say, when people say, Lord, use me, they, they, they think in good terms. They think blessing. Bigger this, bigger that. But when you really pray, God, use me, God is not going to use you in the way you want him to use you. You're his, you're his servant. You don't tell God what to do. You don't, you don't dictate to God how. If you say God use me, then get ready. If you're really serious, he will use you. But that's, that shouldn't make us afraid. Because how I many know what Joseph went through is very painful. The Bible said, if you go back and study life of Joseph, the Bible said that Joseph, right before he revealed himself to his brothers, he went in a room and he cried so loud. I mean, he was in pain. I'm sure that it hurt him and I'm sure there was a mixed emotion of joy and happiness, you know, all, all of that. I'm sure he had all that going on. If we refuse to forgive, then we're not helping not only ourselves, but we're not seeing the bigger picture. How many of you believe that everything that happens in your life, if you're a Christian, there's purpose behind it? If you don't believe that, you're always going to be frustrated. You will slam your head up against the wall. <laughs> you will drive yourself absolutely nuts. Trust me. So Joseph, 
he forgave in spite of his hurt. He forgave in spite of his hurt. How is he, how is he able to forgive in spite of his hurt? He made a choice. He says, you know what? I'm just going to let it go. How are you going to forgive? Who, and perhaps you're hurt. And you've been hurt. And you're going through it. How do you forgive? You have to make a decision that I am going to give it up. I'm going to let it go. But you got to do it from in here. Because if it don't happen from within here, then you haven't really gotten here yet. Now, you know that Joseph demonstrated his forgiveness, right? Look at verse number 10 and 11. Watch this. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. I don't know about you guys, but I'm a little hot. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. And there I will provide for you. Least you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. When you truly forgive someone, it's demonstrated. You know, Ephesians 4, 32, it says that we are to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us. Now, when you forgive, there's a kindness that come over your life. You're kind. There's a demonstration. Joseph, how did he forgive? Joseph said, I'm going to take care of you. The evidence, the fruit of his forgiveness was how he responded to his brother. He didn't say, I'm going to give you the last place. He didn't say, you know what? I'm going to make it hard for you. I'm, I'm going to make you suffer for what you did to me. For what you did for me, you're going to pay for it. Joseph didn't say that. He said, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bless you. And because of that, now, now I want you to think for a moment. Could you imagine what his brothers were thinking at that point. You know, his brothers were probably, they were probably like, they didn't know how to take this guy. What is up? I mean, are you kidding? I mean, they they were surely thinking they were going to die. Could you imagine what they were thinking? But see, here's the thing. When you forgive the worst offense against you, you become a witness for Christ. And people will look at you and say, you did what and you forgave what? And I'm going to tell you something for them. That was the life changer. For them, it was a life changer. When you forgive those who have offended you and you really forgive them, you release them, then you become a witness to them. They look at your life and they marvel. What, what's the inspiration behind that? Because I know what I did to you was absolutely terrible. I had heard. I was listening to James Dobson one day and this lady was giving a story about her, a guy who raped her. And, and how that while he was in the midst of raping her, that I mean, he was in the very act of raping her, uh, she, she, she said to him, Jesus love you. And she just kept saying that while he's raping her, Jesus love you, Jesus love you. And um, now he ended up stopping because he, was, he, he didn't know how to take that. But this woman ended up going to the prison to minister to the man who had raped her. 
that man who had raped her was dumbfounded. Wow, what? He, he didn't know how to handle that because the world would say what? Kill him. Don't have nothing to do with him. Don't talk to him. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not trying to belabor. I'm not trying to, you know, if you've had, God forbid that anything like that has happened to anybody here. But, but if it has, understand my heart. I'm not belittling it. I'm not making light of it. I just know that if God says that we ought to forgive, there's a blessing behind it. And when we don't forgive, not only are we in bondage, but we're not helping the people around us who can get deliverance. Now watch this. Matthew 6, 14. Why should we forgive? Matthew 6, 14 through 15. Why should we forgive? We have that verse. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Failure to forgive is a hindrance of our relationship with God. <clears throat> you know, when we walk, I want to say this, <clears throat> and I know that may be somewhat controversial, but you know, when, when we refuse to forgive, and then we want to go talk to God about God forgiving us for something we didn't know. How many of you realize that you need forgiveness just about like every two seconds? I mean, if you really know who you are, you, come on. I mean, we all just need forgiveness, all right? I understand that. I, I, I recognize that. And, and, and Jesus' message is, I've forgiven you for, of, of so much, and you mean to tell me you won't return the favor? Then, then don't talk to me right now because I'm not listening. I'm not listening. He said, neither will your father forgive you or your trespasses. It should provide some inspiration for us to forgive. How shall we forgive? How should we forgive? In Ephesians 4, I think uh, 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Watch this. And let all bitterness, watch this, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Does that sound like an option? I'm just asking. I, I, English was okay subject. Math, I was terrible. But English, I was a little bit better. But that doesn't sound like, for those of you who are grammatically accurate in most cases, because I know I butcher the language all the time, but that seems like not an option to me. How do we know we've forgiven? Three things. This is real quick. How do you know when you have forgiven somebody? Number one, the negative feelings are gone. The negative feelings are gone. One of the telltale signs that you haven't forgiven is when you see that person that offended you, that you just got all this turning on the inside. And, you may, and we've gotten good because we know how to smile at people, don't we? We know how to smile at them and say, bless the Lord, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> if those negative feelings are still there, we haven't yet put it behind us just yet. That's a fact. Number two, 
we will find it easier to accept the people who hurt us without the need to change them. Because one of the things when people offend us, we feel like not only do we want to see the change, but we want to try to make the change. And you cannot change people. You hear me? That's God's business. People are going to do, you know what I've learned? People are going to do what they're going to do. And I don't have time to be trying to stop people from doing what they're going to do. But I am accountable to God for how I respond and what I do and how I act. That's, at the end of the day, I'm accountable to him, and that's my inspiration. The third point is our concern about our offenders' need outweighs the concern of what they did to us. One of the things you understand when you really forgive, you, really, you look at the person, you say, you know what, I, I have pity for you. I have empathy for you because, because what you did to me, you know, it just shows that, that there's an issue. You got some serious issue, and I'm really praying for you. Now, sometimes we, we say that, I feel sorry for you, but we say it with a little malice. But when you really forgive, you say it with tears in your eyes. I feel sorry for you, and I hope you get delivered. I hope that whatever led you to this point, that, that somehow you would get deliverance from this so that you would never, ever do this again to anybody. And so I'm going to release you and I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to believe that this will be a thing of past of the past in your life. Lastly, let's look at Colossians 3, chapter, chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. And this is how we'll end it. Therefore, as the elect of God, he's talking to you, Christian, you sanctified person who love Jesus, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long suffering, bearing with one another. How many know that that is not easy? Now, there's a reason why that's in the Bible. Anybody want to guess? There's a reason why he's telling us to bear with one another because he's, he's giving you, he's prophesying that people will get on your nerves. <laughs> people will bother you. People will upset you. People will make you angry. And guess what? You're going to make people angry too. Because we're quick to look at the other person and say you, but we are just as guilty. I said it before, all of us are crazy. Got issues. I say that tongue in cheek. But, 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 but here's the thing. He says, bearing with one another. That means that, means that I got to work hard at this because I know you're going to offend me and you're going to do stuff that I may have to forgive you for. You're going you're to hurt me. And sometimes people do stuff and they, and they don't, you know, they, they, they just hurt you. And then what makes it worse is they act like they, don't, they never saw it. They don't even feel it. That even makes them, I mean, you really get upset. You hurt me, and then you just, you walk around like 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 everything is good. <laughs> but see, you know, for me, what I've learned that inspires me to forgive them even quicker because I will not be held in chains to anyone or anybody. I want to be able to walk out there and see the person if they offended me and look them straight in the eye and be free in Jesus' name. Free and say, Lord, use me to minister to them, to help them. I'll bless them. Even though they did this to me, God, I will do whatever you want me to do. I am a living sacrifice. 
That's what it means, people. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, a living sacrifice. You lay down, you sacrifice your life. You sacrifice your feeling. You sacrifice your emotion. But when you do, he says, I give you real life. I give you real life. The power to live above what everybody else is in bondage to. Real life. He says, and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against one another, even as, even, watch this, even as Christ forgave you, so you also might do, possibly can do, think about it, can do. I told you I butchered the language. Must do. What is the standard of measure of forgiveness? Is it whether or not the person come back to me and tell me they're sorry? You know, a lot of times, if, if sometimes if you're waiting for people to come back and tell you sorry, I, I don't even worry about that no more. Because a lot of times they won't come back and tell you anything. Because we ain't talking about the other person. We're talking about you. Let's just stop thinking about the other person. Don't think about for a moment. Forget about the person that offended you. Let's just look at you. The temptation is, is, that, is, is that, you know what? You know, There's an expectation. But when you forgive, you let it go. You let it go. I choose to be free today. I choose to forgive you. I choose to love you. I choose to bless you. I choose, even though you hurt me, I'm going to be free today. I'm going to be free every day. He says, and the standard is, as Christ forgave you. How did Christ forgive you? Everybody in here would say, you know what? He forgave me unconditionally. He accepted me, messed up just as I am. One of the beautiful things about the gospel, you know, I just love those Billy Graham crusades because they always sing those songs, just as... I am with one dark plea. You know what I'm saying? Somebody know the words. Yeah. <laughs> I just butchered that. But Billy Graham, but, but it was just, the, the message was, you can't change yourself. Just, just come as you are. I forgive as Christ forgave me. How did he forgive me? Unconditionally. He loved me. He accepted me just the way I am. And you know what? And we got to learn sometimes that people are what they are. We just got to accept it and move on with your life. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed.